Let's pray together. Lord, let it be true. Let these words that, that the band has worked so hard to, to work into our minds, Lord, let it work into our hearts. Let tonight be a special night where we continue to learn about your love for us as we learn about the first of the two brothers. But, but Lord, we also learn so much about the Father. Lord, use your word tonight in these next few minutes that we have together to draw us closer to each other and closer to you. Lord, we've, we've, it's been a long day, and it's been a good day. But Lord, some of us are tired, some of us more tired than others, some of us more focused than others. Lord, draw us in through your Holy Spirit. Use your word to speak to your people now in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Let's thank, let's, can we thank the band again? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Bringing that heat. Bringing that heat from the throne. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 15. Luke 15. All right, let's see. Luke 15, 11 is where we'll be tonight. Let's see here. Luke 15, 11. Are you guys enjoying beach camp so far? Yeah. Yeah, man. Me too. I feel the same. I agree. I agree. All right. Luke 15, verse 11. Uh, we're going to go 11 through 24 tonight. So let's read it, and then we'll jump in, all right? Luke 15, 11 through 24. And Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So, they, so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Verse 14. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Verse 20. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Let me encourage you here with one of the... This is one of, if not Jesus' most well-known story. The younger brother in the prodigal son narrative. And, and there's a reason for that. And if you're a note taker, if you're writing something in your Bibles, I, I need you to write this. God loves us so much... It is almost shameful. God loves you and me so much that it is almost 
shameful. Now, shameful is bad. He loves us so much it's almost bad. It's almost inappropriate. Well, God's not bad. God's not shameful. So why say it like that? Do you remember in, in John 13 when Jesus... Wa- of course I do, Ryan. Well, I know. Hang on. Do you remember in John 13 when, Peter, when Jesus is washing Peter's feet? Do you remember what Peter says to Jesus, what he tells Jesus to do? He tells him to stop. Stop doing this. This is too much. This is too much for me. You don't have to do this. This is ridiculous. You shouldn't be acting like this to me. He is embarrassed at how much Jesus is willing to serve him. He's embarrassed at how much Jesus is willing to care about him. You and I, we are so unfamiliar with what real love is that we cannot handle it when we get it. We are so unfamiliar with what real love is that we cannot handle it when we get it. This is why I want you guys to spend time in Luke 15 this week during your quiet time if you can. Because if you're not careful, you're going to glaze right over it. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss the good in here. And here's what I want. I want your and my, I want our broken idea of what Jesus' love is to be replaced with the good news of what His love actually is. I want our broken idea of what Jesus' love is, our idea of what Jesus' love is, is broken. Which is why, listen, which is why when he tries to wash our feet, when he tries to love us, we try to stop him. We push back against it. We don't want it. And so through spending more and more time in the Bible, our idea of what Jesus' love is will break and be sent away. And it will be replaced with the good news of what his love really is. Luke 15, 11 through 12. Luke 15, 11 through 12. And Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of inheritance that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. First thing, notice, two sons. The father has two sons, not one. This isn't just about the younger brother. And since the younger brother is mentioned, it's implied that there's a what? An older, oh, this is going to be a good night. There's an older brother. The older brother comes later. All right, that's tomorrow night, so just relax. The younger son asks for his inheritance. Because you can only get your inheritance, technically, when the dad, what? When he dies, right? Yikes. And, and here's, here's the thing with this. Wealth came in forms of property and livestock and crops, okay? It was your land. It was, it was what you owned. You, don't, you can't write checks in these days, right? So the father, in order to give this to the son, has to sell off some of his property so that he can give the son the money. The son is the younger one, so he probably gets a third of the estate. So his house, the father's house, the father's way of life is destroyed so that he can give this to his son. Imagine losing a third of your stuff, a third of your property, a third of your land, a third of your stuff. That's what the dad does to give this to the son. And look at in verse 12. The younger of them said to the father, Father, 
Give to me the share of inheritance which belongs to me. So he divided his wealth between them. The word for wealth here in Greek, New Testament was written in Greek, the word for wealth is bios. It's where we get the word biology from. It means life. The father sold his stuff, which is true, but it really means the father divided up his life. This is the stuff that made up who he was, and the father gave it up for his child. First thing you need to understand is that sin breaks things. Sin hurts things. Sin breaks things. And what's scary is that sometimes in my age and, and in your age with, with, with phones and computers and TV, etc., our response to sin is, well, it's not hurting anyone. It's not breaking anything that I can see. It's not hurting anyone. Let me tell you why that's actually bad news and not good news. Because sin does damage. And if you can't see the damage that's being done to other people by your sin, maybe that's because the bulk of the damage that your sin is doing is being done to you instead. Maybe the reason you can't see the way your sins are hurting people is because your sins are actually bouncing back and hurting you. Eating away at your soul. To your own soul. But God is a loving Father who is gentle with His children. Look at the end of verse 12. Hey, Dad, I'm gonna, this is the Matherly translation. Hey, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me your money, and then I'll go back. So, the, so He divided His wealth between them. So He did it. What kind of a dad says okay to this? A dad who has not given up on his wicked son. A dad who has not given up on his wicked son. A dad who will love him to the end. If this is a story, if this is a story that shows God's love for wicked people, how do you think God feels about you? Again, a third of his property. He wants you to die and you give him a third of your stuff. This is, this is ridiculous. This is so dumb. This is embarrassing. But that's what Peter felt when Jesus wanted to wash his feet. And this is how God feels about you. That's what you need to understand. Don't write anything down and just look at me for two seconds. This is how God feels about you. This is what God is willing to do for you. This is what Jesus Christ has done for you. This is how he feels about you and for me. You know what he's done for you. Do you know how he feels about you? Do you know how he feels about you? Do you know what Jesus thinks of you? This text is helping show us that. Verses 13 through 16. 13 to 16. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on to a journey into a far country. And there he squandered or wasted his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished or poor. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Notice, first of all, when it says in verse 13, and a few days later. This doesn't take long. This does not take long to go completely wrong. So immediately the son takes all the property and converts it to cash of some sort so he can travel with it, right? He wants it just to spend it, okay? He doesn't keep the land. He doesn't keep the cattle. He doesn't keep the crops. He wants it so he can spend it. 
The word for squander, it's a nice SAT word, the word for or waste in verse 13, it literally means to dissolve. It's not like it slowly goes away. It dissolves. Imagine like a like picture crumpling up a dead leaf in fall or winter, right? And just watching it within seconds blow away. That's all the stuff his dad has given to him. All the stuff is gone. Listen, God, let me take my relationships. Let me take my money. Let me take my future and use it the way I want it. Then I'll fi- it'll finally go the right way. Taking stuff from God is the quickest way to lose it. Taking stuff from God. Okay, God, you've given me this relationship. Now I'm going to do it my own way. God, you've given me this job, but I'm going to do things for the approval of just my boss and my coworkers and not for you. You've given me this opportunity to go to college. Now I'm going to use it to, to live the way I want to live for four years or five or six or whatever, and, and, but I'm not going to glorify you. Taking something from God is the quickest way to lose it. He takes all these things from his dad, and literally within a few days, they dissolve away in front of him. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books, if you get bored over the summer, here, a book, it's amazing. Cool, there's more hope than I thought. All right, C.S. Lewis says, anything you're not willing to give away, you don't own it, it owns you. Anything you're not willing to give away, you don't own it. It owns you. Relationships, stuff, whatever. Anything you're not willing to give away or give to the Lord, you don't own it in reality. It owns you. Notice he goes into a far distant country to do this. He's always been far from God in his heart, but now he can just show that outwardly. The distance represents the distance in his soul. Look at 14. Look at 14. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred, awesome, in that country, and he began to be poor. Listen, a severe famine hits him. This is what you got to understand. A famine is when there's no what? Famine is when there's no food. Good geography. Good job, guys. Or social studies, whatever. All right, here we go. So here's the thing, and this is what you need to write down. We need God because life is really hard. We need God because life is really hard. Don't fall for Instagram or TikTok lies that say that everyone has a better life than you do. They don't. We all have baggage, okay? All of us. No matter what age, no matter whatever, we all have baggage. And listen, the famine will come in your life and in my life. Whatever difficulty it looks like, it will come, and it is very difficult, and it's hard. There's that phrase, um, so why do you need God? Well, there's that phrase that John, the theologian John Wayne said, um, life's tough, life's tougher if you're stupid. Have you heard this phrase? Are we all cool? Oh, sorry, I said stupid. We can edit it out. All right, so life's tough, life's tougher if you're stupid. But listen, let me kind of put a biblical spin, and I think that's true, but let me put a little bit of a biblical spin on it. Listen, life is hard. Life is much harder when you don't have hope. Life is hard for everybody. Life is much harder when you don't have hope. The younger brother is hit with this famine, which has nothing to do with him stealing or or taking all this money from his dad. The famine just happens. Everyone's going to go through it. 
But since he has nowhere to go, it's even worse. Do you see that? It, since he has no hope, it's worse. Stick with Jesus because when the storm comes, you will need shelter. That's it. Stick with Jesus because when the storm comes, you need shelter. Like people will ask, like, why should I worship Jesus? Like, why should I worship Jesus? And you like reach into your pocket and like pull out these glasses that you don't even own and you become like this big theologian and like, well, oh, well, the scientific evidence for creation is actually very factually based and, blah, and you start rationalizing your way through. Well, no, listen, you don't need all that. Why should I follow? Look at me. Why should I follow Jesus? Because where are you going to go in the hospital bed? That's why you should follow Jesus. Because where are you going to go when you have to go into the hospital bed? What, are you, what, what is your hope going to be when that happens? Where are you going to go when the famine comes? Why should I follow Jesus? That's a huge reason why. Because he provides shelter during the storm. Because he provides hope when we are going through situations where all we have left is hope. Remember last night? Jesus may put you through situations where, where dating isn't enough, where grades aren't enough, where money is not enough. And all you have left is Jesus, and that's when you realize he's all you need. Sometimes Jesus will use, and this is what happens to the younger brother, sometimes Jesus will use storms in our life to bring us back to him. Now, let me do a quick side road. Not always. That's not the reason for every storm, okay? Like, we've got to get bigger. If someone's really suffering, you don't need to go up to him first thing and be like, hey, bro, Maybe you need to get your life right. Like, shut your mouth. Relax for a minute, okay? Like, like, weep with those who weep for a minute, right? But I will say this. Every storm reveals our hope. Every storm reveals our hope. You know how you figure out if toothpaste is in the tube? You got to put the squeeze on it, right? How do you figure out what's in here? God's going to put that storm. And, and again, he's not up there trying to, oh, I'm, I'm a, like trying to test you. Like, in love, he's trying to draw you in. He's trying, listen, listen suffering, C.S. Lewis says, God shouts to us in our pain. Does that make sense? Like in the good times, like God's there in the good times. He's there in the good times. But maybe we don't hear him quite as clearly. Suffering is like, you, you heard that dude on the beach today with that megaphone or whatever, right? Suffering is God's megaphone to you. Look up here. Look at me. Come to me. Return to me. And we'll see the famine is part of the reason the sun goes back. God uses these storms. Where do you go for comfort? Verses 15 and 16. 15 and 16. And when I find 15, we'll read it. There we go. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. First of all, quick side road, no one's giving anything to him. Why should we follow Jesus? Because life is hard. Because life is hard. And as Christians, we should not be in that group of no one was giving anything to him. We should help those, of, those who are in need. We should help those, of, those who are in need. We should be a part of this group of people that does help. Because sometimes people are in a storm and this is how we can bring them in. Anyway, 15 and 16. Now he runs out of stuff. He runs out of stuff. He's out of stuff. He has no home. Where, and, and like, not a trick question. Who should he have gone back to first? If he's run out of stuff and he has no home, who should he go back to? 
He should go back to his dad. He should go back to the Lord. He should go back to his dad. The one with all the stuff. If you're out of stuff, go back to the one who's got all the stuff. But he won't do it. And instead, he works with animals, specifically pigs, which are illegal, right? Which are illegal to work with in Jewish culture. Listen, why would he not just go home? That's so dumb. Why would he not just go home? Because our pride makes us fools. Your pride will turn you into a fool. Listen, the answer is Jesus. You know it, and so do I. So why don't you go to him? Because you don't want to. Because you don't want to. Because our pride is in the way. Because we think, listen, we think during the famine, we think, if I can just hold on, this storm will pass and I'll get it back. I'll get it back. I'll bounce back. I'll get it back. Maybe you will, but adults and college students, in life, as soon as you get one problem solved, what happens? Another problem is right there. Like today with those waves, like you would, like you would make it through the first wave, which is great, and you turn around and wham, like concussed right there. Look, life, that's life, bro. That is life. As soon as you get through one, another one comes, right? And God is good, but life is hard. As soon as you get through this one famine, another one will come. And you, listen, like, as soon as you get through it, another one is on its way. And if, you're, if your end game is, if I just hold on, I'll get through this storm. I don't need God. I'll get through this storm. I've got my phone. I've got entertainment. I've got dating. I've got grades. I'll get through this storm. Maybe you will, but guess what's going to happen next week? Another famine will come. Another storm will come. You know what was really stressful for Kristen and I? Looking for a house was really, really stressful. And now we own a house. You know what's really stressful? Owning a house. Owning a house is really stressful. Being single was super hard for me for a long time. I had some tough days. And then I got married. You know what's really hard sometimes? Being married. And Kristen would say amen much louder than me, right? But like the point is like, we think, like, remember, remember what we talked about last night. What do you want? What's at the bottom of that well? What is it that in your mind, and think through, you may not be able to answer right out of the gate. What is that thing in your life that if you think you had it, everything else would just go away? Everything would be solved. It will not do it. What causes you to wander off? What is it that you think, oh, this will solve it all? It will not fix it all. In fact, it'll just give you a whole new set of problems. Like I thought that getting married would solve all my problems, but now I have a, a set of problems that my single friends can't even help me with anymore. It's like a more specific set. I thought that owning a house would fix it all, and now owning a house gives me this other problem. Man, I'm just bringing that heat tonight, y'all. <laughs> all right, look. Yeah, spiritual warfare. All right, here we go. Get into... The, listen, listen, listen. Listen to me. Listen to me. The answer is not whatever you think is coming next. The answer is not whatever you think is coming next. The answer, listen to me, the answer is when we drop our pride and run to Jesus. When we drop our pride and ask Him, listen, listen, running to Jesus is not like putting on your Christian music playlist and like getting in this weird meditative state on your roof and like, like getting up. Listen, running to Jesus is asking him for help. 
Running to Jesus is, don't over-theologize it. We'll see that in a minute. This kid's theology is wrong. Running to Jesus is asking him for help. Look at 17 through 19. 17 through 19. Running to Jesus is asking him for help. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. The son realizes he cannot save himself. He's guilty. He can't cover it up anymore. He has nowhere to hide. He's filthy. No one's helping him. Listen, he realizes he, he can't. He has nowhere else to go. Remember in the Garden of Eden, all right, church kids of the world unite. Remember in the Garden of Eden, when God comes and says to Adam, hey, this is kind of your fault, Adam doesn't respond and say, no, Lord, you're right, I repent. Who does Adam blame? He turns it on Eve. And so, all right, now we look to Eve. All right, Eve, look, you did eat the fruit first. Why don't, let, like, let's just real talk here. Can you do this for me? Eve doesn't say, all right, Lord, you know what? You're right. It's on me. I started this. What should I have done better? Who does Eve blame? Eve turns and blames the serpent. Listen to me. The younger brother knows he is the only one to blame. This does not happen to everyone. This does not happen to everyone. This realization that it is not anything around it. It is our issue. We are to blame. Not our upbringing. Not our circumstances. Not our situation. Not other people. Not politicians. Not other problems in the world. Not other countries. When we realize that we are before Almighty God, we are responsible this does not happen to everyone. But in this moment, isn't it interesting that the younger brother doesn't say, well, this wouldn't have happened to me if my dad would have just given me more. If he had given me two-thirds, I'd have been okay. It is what's called a severe mercy when God lets us run out of excuses. It is a severe mercy mercy when God lets us run out of excuses. Something severe, now we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta take our brains and stretch our theology a little bit. Severe is something bad. This is severe. A severe fever or whatever. A severe nosebleed on the bus. Whatever. Like severe. I love, I love you, buddy. Severe, right? Severe is bad, but mercy is good. A severe mercy is what happens when through a very difficult thing, the Lord brings us mercy. It, is a, it stinks to run out of excuses. To have nobody else to blame but yourself, to just know that you're caught in the crosshairs and it's on you. That's hard. But the growth that comes from that, the repentance that could come from that, it's a severe mercy when God lets us run out of excuses. He's finally out of excuses, so he plans to return to his father. But he doesn't get it quite right, and that's okay. Let me show you what I mean. Look at 18 and 19. 18 and 19. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. If you're writing in the margins here, he still wants to earn it. He still wants to make me as one of your hired men. He still he doesn't see his dad as dad. He sees him as boss. And that's not what a dad wants. 
which we know is not going to happen. The dad's not even going to let him finish his speech because he loves him so much. But here's what you need to follow here. The son's theology is not quite right, but he wants to come home. And that's enough for God. Do you see that? He still wants to earn it. He's wrong. His theology is not quite right, but he still wants to come home. And that's enough for God. Some of you maybe, or maybe you have friends who don't want to believe in... Maybe you have friends. Some of you, some of you don't want to believe in Jesus, or maybe you know people who don't want to believe in Jesus, because you don't get the whole creation thing. How could a God create things? Isn't it evolution? What's going on? Listen, that's a good question, and we can talk about it, but it doesn't have to keep you from Jesus. How could a good God allow suffering? My wife has lost two dads. Not, not one. My wife has lost two dads. What is he thinking when that happens? That's a great question, and there are some really deep answers in there, but listen to me. But that doesn't have to keep you away from Jesus. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named Matt Chandler, and he talks about how before he became a Christian, he didn't get the creation thing, he didn't get the suffering thing, there's some historical inaccuracies in the biblical narrative, I can't get over that. And then the Lord one day said, hey, it's time for you to come home. And he started worshiping God, and he says this, he said, I still had all these questions. None of his questions had been answered, but his heart was different. His questions weren't answered, he just went home. That question doesn't need to keep you away from Jesus. I can work for my dad. I'll work it off. No, he still doesn't get it. He's so dumb. He still doesn't get it. But his dad runs to him anyway. Do you see that? He still's not quite got it yet, but his dad runs to him anyway. And notice, listen, it doesn't, it, the, the prodigal son is kind of a, this messy narrative because it doesn't really seem like He's fully repentant either. Like he's just kind of out of options before he goes home. Notice, it doesn't say that the son is doing this out of pure love for the father. Or, or there, there's not really a big time sign of sorrow here. I mean, not really. He's just out of options. Listen to me. He's just out of options. And the father is perfectly okay with that. He, it, he's not coming back out of pure love for dad. He's just out of other options. And the dad runs to him anyway. I'm only coming to you because I have to. Wow, that's beautiful. I'm only coming to you because I have to. And what is the dad's response? He runs to him. If, this is, if that's starting to bother you a little bit, then that shows you're starting to get it. You're starting to get why Peter was uncomfortable with Jesus washing his feet. Listen, one pastor says this. The, listen to me. The prodigal son doesn't return home because of a love for his father. He comes back home simply to survive because he ran out of money and his father is perfectly fine with that. Let me read that again so that the whooping cough will survive. The prodigal son doesn't return home because of a love for his father. You need to like just full, full stop right there. The prodigal son doesn't return home because of a love for his father. He comes back home simply to survive because he ran out of money. Listen, and his father is perfectly fine with that. Just come home. God wants you home. When we say... When we, and you've heard this, when, and, and I agree with it, when we say, you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to God. 
We don't mean, ah, but your theology's got to be perfect. Ah, but you got to break up with that loser first. Ah, but you got to tell me who you voted for first. Ah, but you got to fix this first. No, man. Just come home. But, like, what else are you waiting on? Just come home. He gave him a third of his stuff. He spent it all. He drags himself home, which you and I both know he wouldn't do if he had any other option. And the dad still hugs him. It's time for you to come home, bro. Where else are you going to get love like this? Now, after you come home, we do what's called discipleship. We help you work through some of this sin and this brokenness that caused you to wander off in the first place out of love so that you won't do it anymore. But we can't do that until you come home. Just come home, man. Just like, just come on. Like, we're at youth camp. Like, what are you waiting on? Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. So he got up and came to his father. You ready? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Notice that right there. And he felt compassion for him. Why does the dad run to the son? Because he wants to. Because he wants to. Like we worry about praying sometimes. Like, oh, I wander off. I don't really say it right. Dude, just, just shut up and pray. Like just, like, just pray. Like, he knows what you need before you ask it. And you're worried about how you're saying it? He already knows what you need before you even say it. He's on the way to you as soon as you even start to turn in his direction. He's like, yeah, what do you, I'm, I'm here, what's up? That's who you're praying to. Older men didn't run in that time period. You know how he runs to his son? Older men didn't run in that time period. Amen. Didn't, no running. Like you got to a certain age, you didn't have to run anymore. That's awesome. Older men didn't have to run in that time period because it was seen as undignified. And this dad just goes for it. But listen, 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 let's apply it. So many people, and you know people, and maybe you're one of these. So many people, oh, I can never be a Christian. It's all about being uptight. And the Bible is so rigid, I could never... Have you met Jesus, bro? Have you... We're putting that on the shirt next year, I think. Have you... Like, seriously, listen to me. I wrote it in bold. Listen, have you read this book? Look right at me. Have you read this book? Or are you just listening to what other people have said about it? Christianity's uptight. Christianity's so judgmental. Christianity's so difficult. That is not who's in here. I tell college students all the time, the only reason you think the Bible's boring is because you've never read it. There's no way you could read this Bible and make the assumptions about Christianity that so many students are making in your generation. There's this new thing going around called deconstruction, where people are leaving the faith because they're, looking, they're listening to other people and not to Jesus. Does the church need work? Yeah, it needs a lot of work. Has the church always needed a lot of work? Yes, it has. But Jesus just keeps on going. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner we see that the dad runs to this kid, who the, that's the last thing he deserves. And that's, how, that's who we are. That's how good Jesus is. Have you read this book or are you just listening to what other people have said about this book? 
The father felt compassion on him, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Listen to me. The father ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, puts, gets the robe, gets the ring. Listen, we are so caught up in our own feelings about ourselves. How many of you get anxious and then you think about your anxiety and it makes you more anxious, right? I got my hand up like all the time. Literally at beach camp, the entire, I'm just going to be here the whole time, right? So listen, we are so, in our generation, we are so caught up in how we feel about ourselves. Verse 20 is all about how God feels about us. Verse 20 is pulling your eyeballs away from yourself and to look at God. So you'll see how He feels about you. How much He loves you. And in that love, in understanding that love, the anxiety starts to go away. The, the, the things of earth grow strangely dim. They're not as appealing as they used to be. Oh man, i got a good story coming up. Just give me a second. It's also interesting, if you look at verses 17 through 20, in your quiet time tomorrow maybe, if you look at verse 17 through 20, how many eyes and mys are in there? I have to go to my father. I'm going to do this. I'll be one of your hired servants. I'll do this. Listen, listen, listen. He sounds repentant. I'm going to go to my dad and do that. All right, that's good. He sounds repentant, but he's still focused on him. He uses churchy language, but he's still focused on himself. It hasn't really happened yet. His attention hasn't really been drawn up to God, which is what repentance is. God can never love me. I've sinned so much. I've done so much. I've sinned again and again. Look at me. I could never be a Christian. I've sinned so much. It's not about you, bro. It's about how much God loves you. So what are you waiting on? He's pulling all these excuses away. You could still come to me, but I've done this. No, no, you could still come to me. But, I, but God, you don't. No, 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 no. You could still come to me. It's not about you. And I mean that in the best way. You can take your eyes off of you and look at Jesus. Notice him. Look at verses 21 through 24. 21 through 24. We're almost done. You guys are awesome. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quick, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Notice, first of all, the son doesn't even get to finish his speech. He's got this whole thing planned, and the dad's love just runs over him before he can even finish getting the words out. What if I told you that every time you pray, God's already with you before you even get the words out? Before you even get the prayer out, God's already right there with you. That's huge when it comes to... Like, like what are you going to pray with cancer? What are you going to pray if the doctor says, hey, this, this isn't, this isn't going to end the way you hope it will? What do you pray then? How much better would it feel to know that as soon as you get, before the words even get out of your mouth, God's in the hospital bed with you? The robe and the ring. Give him the best robe in the house. Who do you think owns the best robe in the dad's house? The dad. Yeah, genius. The dad, right? The son's dirt and filth is washed away, and he's given clothes that welcome him back into his family. Listen, the ring is the same thing. <laughs> Rhyme. The ring is the same thing. In Genesis, Pharaoh gives Joseph a robe and a ring as well to symbolize that Joseph, this slave, has now become a member of Pharaoh's high court. Listen, these aren't just clothes being given. An identity change is happening here. 
Again, God loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. God's love changes who you are. When, uh, I became a Christian in December of 2012. Excuse me, January of 2013. And I'm about to go for a run. Amen, right? About to go for a run. And I'm putting my iPod. Do you know these things that the Egyptians used? So I'm putting my iPod in. And I'm about to listen to, uh, and I, I will never forget this. I'm about to listen to, now, and, and the whole point is God's love changes our hearts. I'm about to listen to some Kanye, all right? To Kanye West. Now, this was, now listen to me, college kids and adults. This is late 2000s Kanye. This is good Kanye. This is like, this is like late registration Kanye, like before everyone knew he was crazy Kanye, okay? I would encourage you to do, but I can't, so like, you, you just have to trust me here. But listen, I'm putting the, and maybe you've experienced this, but I'm putting the headphones in, and I'm going for my run, and the, and the song starts, and I'm literally like, oh my gosh. Like, oh, like I'm just like, ooh, like I can't, I can't even, I couldn't even finish the, so I was like, well, this is not my, this is just not my thing now. This is so weird. It's so, all right, so I did the run, and I like used to watch everything on TV. Like it was just my jam. And I'm watching some of my shows on TV, like later that night or whatever, some of my soaps, like, I'm just kidding, just like my shows, I'm watching shows, and I'm watching it, and, it, and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like, it, it just didn't, and listen, I'm not trying to, you, you, like, it just, didn't, it just didn't taste the same anymore. It wasn't, listen to me, it was not me saying, oh, I've got to behave now. Oh no, I've got to go, got to go find the nearest Awana as a college student and like get those met and get, get it back going, like make all this up and be super well behaved. It was not that. I li- it just literally did not taste the same to me anymore. And so I meet with my buddy Jamie at Panera Bread on State Bridge, and I'm literally, I'm like having this psychological breakdown because I'm like, dude, I don't listen to the same stuff anymore. I can't watch what I used to watch. I don't think the same way I used to think anymore. What is happening to me? And he says, Ryan, it sounds like you've been born again. And I go, that's for real? been in church my whole life. Heard that a million times. This is for, are you serious? This is real? He just changed me. He just changed me. And I'm not, I'm not saying you need to go home and check your, check your phone for all your music. You need to watch your TV show. Behavior modification will not get you God's grace. God gives you God's grace and he changes you. Notice the son didn't earn any of this himself. The father took it out of his own wealth and his own dignity, and he gave it to the son who had wasted all of his. The father takes from his own wealth and his own dignity, and he gives to the son who had wasted it all. Again, what are you waiting on? This kid has no cards to play, and he gets everything back. The father, Notice this too. The father has already given so much to this kid. And when the kid comes back, what does the father do? He gives again. He gives again. What's God going to do when you blow it? He'll give again. What's God going to do when you you, secretly, if you had to admit, you really don't care about God at all? He gives again. You don't really want anything to do with God. He gives again and again and again. And you kind of forget about him throughout college and even outside of college. And then finally, just it all hits the fan and you're in desperate and you go back to church. What's God going to do then? He gives again. He gives again. He gives again. He runs to you again. Verse 24, last one. For this son of mine was dead 
and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. This son is described as dead and then resurrected. Listen to me. I don't care what you've done, bro. God takes dead hearts and makes them alive with how much He loves you. Ryan, I'm a bad kid. Well, this kid was so bad, they called him dead. So, like, like, you, like, you're, like he was so bad that he was described as dead. And remember, look at me, remember, the areas of your life that are the most dead, the most perverted, the most shameful, are the areas of your life where he hugs the hardest. Listen, come home to Jesus and start to experience the change in your life that you need. We'll help you get there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come home. We thank you that that tonight you brought us here where in all the stuff we've done, our bad behavior, our good behavior, whatever the things in our lives that have deadened us to you, you are calling out right now for us to come home. And so, Lord, I pray for our students in here. I pray for our adults in here. I pray for the band. I pray for myself. Lord, some of us are, are, are believers in you, but we've been gone a long time. And we don't want to admit it because we think we just look foolish to the people who look up to us. It's embarrassing. But Lord, you ran to this kid. You embarrassed yourself so that he wouldn't have to be alone. You washed Peter's feet. You're you're not worried about embarrassment at all. You will get down into the embarrassment with us and bring us out of it. And Lord, I pray for the students in here who, who again, are just, they just could not care less about anything I've just said, about anything that your word teaches, about any of the music, Lord, about anything that we're doing this week. Lord, they're the ones that you're hugging the hardest. Lord, I just pray that you would work in their hearts and work in their lives, all these students this week, through the fun, through the through the music, through the food, through all of it. Work in our lives this week and bring us home. And and Lord, now as we get to sing to you one more time tonight, would you just let the words of the sermon and the words of the song dig deep into our hearts and minds, draw us closer to each other and closer to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Let's stand.